Hello, everyone. This is Gary Naylor. Our podcast today is going to be quite diverse. Actually, I wanted to start this podcast two weeks ago, but I got bronchitis, and there's still a little remnant of it left. And it all ties together with what Yahweh is doing. To begin with, over two weeks ago, I began to think about this matter of when we can receive the latter rain. Now, you think about this. At the time of Yeshua, the believers were obviously caught unaware when the former rain came. Now, you would think that there would be even more people there if they had known that is what would happen. But the former rain came, I think, as a surprise to them. They knew by the Spirit what it was, but they weren't fully anticipating it. I don't think so. But today, we have further advantage than they did. Now, that doesn't guarantee us, but we do have some advantage. One, we know about the former rain. We know there has to be a latter rain, and so we can look forward to it. But we also know that it occurred on a feast day, which was Pentecost, and we look to our feast today, at this time, for the fulfillment as well. But when and how could that latter rain come? Well, let me begin by pointing out something that I have looked at in the past. First, we will not get into this matter of Tabernacles Pentecost, other than saying that it seems evident that the latter rain would be at a Tabernacles Pentecost. The former rain came at a Passover Pentecost, but the latter work has to be a Tabernacles work. Keep in mind, the sons of Israel came up to the Promised Land at Tabernacles, and that is when they should have entered in, if it was possible. They came up at Tabernacles, but they did not believe, and so they did not enter into the promised land at the fulfilling Tabernacles, which is what we have to have. Now, I'm going to be giving a lot of information. I hope that you can follow me, but I need to lay some of this out. There's something called the Covenant with the Manny, and that's from Daniel chapter 9, and you can look that up if you're not familiar with it. But the covenant with the many prescribed that Yeshua would walk out three and a half years of that covenant, the latter part of that covenant, and the first remnant walked out a year and a half. That would have been Passover to Passover and then the tabernacles. So they would have had a year and a half. And the covenant with the many is a seven-year covenant. Yeshua walked out the latter half of that covenant. So there goes three and a half years. The first remnant walked out a year and a half of the former portion, if you would. You're going to have to go to a writing and read about it because I can't explain it now. But the first remnant walked out a year and a half. And that means there are two years left in the covenant with the many. So the former reign occupied a year and a half. So the latter rain should occupy two years in that covenant that we should be experiencing today. Now, 
This is going to get deep for some of you. But for those who have read Remnant Bride and stayed up with it, hopefully you'll understand. I have written in the past that when there's the trumpet that sounds and we ascend into heaven, we will be there for 15 days. That would be according to the pattern of the dedication of Solomon's temple, which is what we are. We are Solomon's temple. And when I say we, I'm talking about the first remnant united with the second remnant. We will be the temple of God on this earth. And it's very important to note that Solomon's temple had seven days of cleansing, and then there were eight days of tabernacles. And what this means for us and the first remnant is that when the trumpet sounds, we would be taken up into heaven and be there for those 15 days. That, again, would be seven days of purification, cleansing, and then eight days of tabernacles. Obviously, eight days are very important because that is exactly how long Yeshua stayed in heaven before he came back in his immortal, incorruptible body. That's in the book of John. Now, having noted this, that means that when the trumpet sounds, we would ascend alive, not on trumpets, nor even on atonement. Trumpets is the first day of the month. Atonement is the tenth day. But if you've got seven days and eight days, that doesn't work. Because if you look at a calendar, that means that the trumpet would sound on the eighth day. Now, I always thought that the trumpet sounding was associated with one of the feast trumpets, which would have been that first day on trumpets or atonement. And then the sounding of a trumpet on the 10th was associated with Jubilee. But you see, neither one of those can work because for us to be in heaven 15 days, we would have to actually ascend on the 8th day when the trumpet is sounded. And you may have to get a calendar, go to rentabride.com and look at the new millennial calendar and you'll see all of this laid out. But it was a dawning for me that this trumpet that is spoken of in Thessalonians and in other locations, it couldn't be associated with either of these prescribed trumpet blasts. So that was really an insight and information that was something that I valued. And here, let's talk about the great eighth day of tabernacles. This is a very, very most important day. First, let's set forth a Bible contradiction, and then I'm going to share something else about this day. We find in 1 Kings 8.66 that the sons of Israel, when they came to Jerusalem for the dedication of Solomon's temple, it says that they went home. We read that the people were actually sent home on the eighth day, which would have been 
on the 22nd day of the seventh month. They were sent home on the great eighth day. They didn't experience the great eighth day. And Kings is associated with Christianity. Well, in clear contrast, in 2 Chronicles 7.10, verse 10, it tells us that the people were sent home, quote, on the 23rd day of the seventh month. They were sent home after the great eighth day. They experienced the great eighth day. And Chronicles speaks of the bride. It's a Bible contradiction. And if you want to know more about these Bible contradictions, just go to Renant Bride and look up Bible contradictions. There are a whole series of these. But what we find is that Christianity does not experience the great eighth day. They go home on that day. It is the remnant who experience the great eighth day, and then they go home afterwards. Why is this so important? First, I want to draw a distinction. In the past, I have hoped that we would get the latter rain on the great eighth day. Because in the book of John, Yeshua, on the great eighth day, declared, out of your innermost being would flow rivers of living water. Well, I had hoped that maybe we would get the latter rain on that day. But we never have. And the reality is, we never would have. Just recently, in considering this, I tied all of this together with the feast and our time in heaven. And it dawned on me that the words there are out of your innermost being would flow rivers of living water. Well, hold it. The latter rain is not something that flows out of us. The latter rain is something that comes upon us. So it's impossible for the great eighth day to be the latter rain because it says out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So what's going on here? The latter rain will be separate from what we're seeing fulfilled here. And of course, our hope today is that the latter rain will be a Tabernacles Pentecost on May 31 of this year, 2017. That is when we hope there is the latter rain, which would be a Pentecost 349s from the day before the great eighth day of tabernacles. And you can read about this if you want to learn more. But what I've come to see is that the reason Yeshua said out of your innermost being would flow rivers of living water. When we look at these 15 days in heaven, where you have seven days of cleansing and you have eight days of tabernacles with the great eighth day, obviously being on that eighth day, eighth and final day. That's when we will have our immortal, incorruptible bodies. Guess what? When we enter into our immortal, incorruptible bodies, yes, out of our innermost being will flow rivers of living water. We will come back to this earth with Emmanuel and rule and reign. And this 
two-part first remnant, second remnant bride will have heavenly bodies, and only then is it possible for rivers of living water to come flowing out of us. Do you see this? The fulfillment of the great eighth day only comes when we get out of this fleshly body and enter into the heavenly body when those rivers can truly go through us and they're not impeded by this flesh. Are you understanding? Some of the things that I speak of here could be confusing to people, but that one's pretty straightforward, isn't it? And it makes a lot of sense when you see what the difference is between the latter rain and rivers of living water coming out of us. For the sake of thoroughness, I want to present something that I've been considering. In the past, I've just set it aside because I didn't know how it could work out, and I still don't know how it could work out. But if we receive the latter rain on May 31, that is not at Tabernacles. Tabernacles would not be until three and a half months later. And so if the ministry period now, I'm just being honest and laying this out. If our ministry period is for two years, then you've got about three and a half so months longer because Tabernacles doesn't come until the month of October. And here we're talking about May. We're talking about four, four and a half months. And so how does that work out? I don't know yet. And there are a lot more factors that work into that, which has to do with how long is the time period. And it all depends on the contrast between the lunar calendar and the solar calendar. For example, Yeshua's walked out three and a half years of the covenant with the many. Well, the reality is, and this could get complicated for some people, the lunar calendar is shorter than a solar calendar. And so every two or three years, they have to add another month. Well, guaranteed in a three and a half year ministry period, they would have added a month in there. So was it really three and a half year ministry? Well, I guess maybe it would be by adding that month in there. But that's the question that weighs on my mind is this difference between a May 31 Versus the latter rain coming at tabernacles. But it can't come at tabernacles any more than it could come at Passover. It has to come at a tabernacles Pentecost. And so it's an enigma to me as to how Yahweh is going to reconcile all of this. I don't know. But I'm a realist and I look at these differences. And I do know that a tabernacles Pentecost would put the latter rain at a different time, not in sequence. But you had that with Pentecost. And so I'm just laying this out that this is something that I've been considering. And I hope I don't bring confusion to you, but this is something to weigh, and maybe you might have some insight into this. But one thing we do know is you cannot have the latter rain at Tabernacles. You can't have it there any more than you could have one at Passover. 
And we've added a Pentecost of Tabernacles, and so it's going to be out somewhere else. So maybe Yahweh's just going to have a mercy factor. I don't know. So I just wanted to lay that out to you. It's been in my thoughts. And we will see what Yahweh does. But it was truly exciting to see that the great eighth day has to do with us entering into our immortal, incorruptible bodies and the rivers of living water flowing from us. That we can all look forward to. All right, let's now go to another matter that has really been pressing me, and I find it most interesting and quite clear. Um, I'm very grateful for this information that I'm going to present to you. We read in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 17, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. The trumpet will sound. Now, for me, I had to consider where trumpets sound. And I've already mentioned that the trumpet sounded at trumpets. And that's why I've sometimes wondered that's what would call us into heaven. But that's not possible because of timing. It's not possible. So the only other time in which a trumpet was blown in the scriptures would have been atonement. And it can't be there either. So I asked the honest question, when would that trumpet blow? What trumpet was he speaking of when he said the trumpet of God will sound? Well, let's see what the Bible has to tell us. Because if we're going to know anything, it has to be in the scriptures. So where do we first read about a trumpet blowing? Well, it's in Joshua. You're going to be familiar with it. This has to do whenever they entered into the promised land and they came up to Jericho. And as you know, they traveled around Jericho seven times, seven days, and they blew a trumpet. So let me read for you Joshua 6, 4, and 5. Also, seven priests shall carry, note, seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people will go up every man straight ahead. Okay, let's pay attention to this. On the seventh day, they went around seven times, and then the priest blew the trumpets, and of course, Jericho fell. But now, notice here that it says that when they blew the trumpets, the people will go up every man straight ahead. You'll want to pay attention to that because that's what we're talking about when the trumpet sounds, we will go 
up. And this is the first testimony concerning the trumpet. It has to do with Jericho and the blast of the trumpet, and the people went up. That's really what we're talking about in Thessalonians as well. Okay, the next verse where we find a great trumpet blasting is in Isaiah 27, 12 through 13, and let me read it. In that day, Yahweh will start his threshing from the flowing stream of the Euphrates to the brook of Egypt, and you will be gathered up one by one, O sons of Israel. It will come about also in that day that a great trumpet will be blown, and those who were perishing in the land of Assyria and who were scattered in the land of Egypt will come and worship Yahweh in the holy mountain at Jerusalem. Folks, this is not something that looks to a natural fulfillment. And the Jerusalem that we go to, the holy mountain at Jerusalem, is Jerusalem above. Isaiah 27, 12 through 13 is speaking about the trumpet in 1 Thessalonians 4 in which we enter into, upon, that holy mountain at Jerusalem above and worship Yahweh. So here we see again this testimony that when we ascend up that mountain, that it is by the calling of a great trumpet. Of course, that's not new to you. That's First Thessalonians 4 where it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together into that holy mountain. Let's look at another passage where a trumpet is spoken of with regard to this time of ascension. 1 Corinthians 15, 51-53 Here we read, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Paul is revealing something that people have not heard before. And it's a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. When? At the last trumpet. We will be changed at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. And again, On that eighth day, at that point, the great eighth day, rivers of living water will come forth from us. But here we ask the question, what is now called the last trumpet 
What does it mean, the last trumpet? See, it can't be trumpets. It can't be jubilee. Why did Paul call it the last trumpet? Have you ever asked yourself that question? I never had before until I started studying this out. The last trumpet? What's the last trumpet? Why did he identify it specifically as the last trumpet? Does the Bible give us an answer? Was Paul saying something inspired by the Holy Spirit? And he didn't understand himself even? No, I don't think he had any understanding of what that last trumpet was. Not specifically. But Paul was anointed by God to bring forth the word of God. And that last trumpet is telling us something about this trumpet that we've been studying in these other verses. It tells us what it is that will be the fulfillment of this resurrection. And that fulfillment is recorded for us in the scriptures. And it was actually written some 40 years later. So what is the last trumpet? What does the Bible tell us about the last trumpet and to whom is it associated with? You actually already know. In Revelation 4.1, we read, And after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Ooh, I like that. And the first voice which I heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. And let me explain what he saw. What he saw was the throne of God, the throne of Yeshua, and the 24 elders sitting around on 24 thrones. That is what was seen with the sounding of a trumpet speaking to them. All right? That's interesting. What we see here is the setting of the two-part remnant, the 24 elders around the throne with Emmanuel. So this would, in fact, be what takes place after the blowing of this trumpet and the catching up of the bride. Let's now read Revelation 8, 2. And I saw these seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Now, we know that various parts of Revelation were the seals first, the seals, then the trumpets, and the bowls. If you go to a writing called the Great Tribulation, you will see that the seals deal with the first remnant. The trumpets have to do with us, the second remnant, and the bowls have to do with Christianity. Those are the three works in the kingdom. The seals, the first remnant, the trumpets, the second remnant, the bowls, Christianity. And you can go read the Great Tribulation, page 9. It's titled The Book of Revelation. And you can understand what the book of Revelation is teaching us concerning 
the kingdom of heaven concerning the true fulfillment of this book concerning the church. So in Revelation 8, 6, it tells us that the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. And then there was the first angel that sounded, the second angel sounded, the third angel sounded, the fourth angel sounded, the fifth angel sounded, the sixth angel sounded the trumpet, and that takes us to Revelation eleven, fifteen through 17. And I will be most glad to read it for you. Then the seventh angel sounded. What did it sound? It sounded a trumpet, right? But was it just any trumpet? No, it was the seventh trumpet. At the sound of the seventh trumpet, the last trumpet, folks, the seventh trumpet is the last trumpet. It is the last trumpet that Paul spoke of in 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Do you understand now what the last trumpet is? The last trumpet is this which is spoken of in Revelation 11 of the seventh angel sounding this trumpet. And what is the outcome? We know from 1 Corinthians 15 that we will be caught up into heaven and be thoroughly changed into immortality. And isn't that what Revelation 11, 15 through 17, is telling us as well? Are you putting the two together? This last trumpet has to do with us, the second remnant, and of course the first remnant joins us. But let me read this. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, Oh, listen to this, folks. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And who responded? And the 24 elders who sat on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Folks, that is exactly what the last trumpet produces. It is the last of the seven trumpets in the book of Revelation. It is the second remnant specifically, but with the second remnant, of course, are those who have been sealed. They are a part of the remnant. They have been sealed. But it's not until the seventh trumpet sounds that we enter into immortality, as Paul clearly stated 
in 1 Corinthians 15. Do you understand what the last trumpet is now? It is the last of the seven trumpets. It is the last of the seven trumpets that is blown at the fall of Jericho and the people go up. It is the great trumpet in Isaiah 27 that is blown and those who were perishing in the land came and worshipped Yahweh in the holy mountain at Jerusalem. Do you understand now what is being spoken of? It's incredible what Paul saw. He knew it would be the last trumpet, but he could not have even known what that last trumpet was. He was riding by the unction of the Holy Spirit. It wouldn't be until 40 years later that John would write this concerning the last trumpet. Isn't Yahweh amazing? And we greatly rejoice in him and take hope for the days yet before us. All right, the podcast is getting ready to change. This is another subject. It is related in that we are seeking to ascend and to know what God's doing in these days. But it's another matter. It has to do with March is like May. I am recording this on March 31. So the first question is, did my family come back? No. Haven't heard anything from them. That was my hope. That was my desire, my wish. I'd love to have them back. Was it to be fulfilled? But frankly, all that matters is that Yahweh's will is performed. Let me begin by laying out the pattern that we see in March, April, May. This will help us understand, hopefully, what Yahweh is doing. It's the pattern of the church. March would be the first remnant. April would be Christianity. And May would be the second remnant in which we get the fulfillment. Now, April, being Christianity, is supported by the fact that Yeshua was crucified on April 1st. You can read about this and the evidence thereof in the writing titled The New Millennial Calendar. And you would go to page 14, which is titled April 1, 33 AD. Yeshua was crucified on April 1. Of course, that's April Fool's Day. And I'm quite certain that that was the origin of April Fool's Day. If you go online, nobody knows what the origin was, but it's been around forever. And I'm quite certain that the Jews thought that Christians were fools. And the Romans thought the Christians were fools. And so they were all glad to celebrate April 1st as April Fool's Day, the day in which Yeshua was crucified and died. To rise again, of course. So it's quite fitting that April would be the body of Christ. That was when he was crucified. So March is the first remnant. April, the body of Christ. May, in which we need the fulfillment of the latter reign. 
would be the second remnant. So, if this is Yahweh's divine pattern going on, what can we expect from March? Well, what did we get from the first remnant? They received the former rain, but what was the outcome? Did they find fulfillment? No, it was cut short. They only lasted a year and a half. And they all died. They were like the first bird in Leviticus 14. It's the bird that dies. It's the bird that is not the fulfillment. It's a bird of sorrow and loss. And so here I was hoping for my family to come back in March. Well, it's a great thought. But March is not the fulfillment. And my family didn't even peep. But there was something quite significant in March. And I would like to tell you about it now. I have to begin by telling you, for me, what is a very sad story. And I have to be very brief in this. My sister, who's the youngest of us three, a year or so ago, died. And let me tell you the story. I called my sister every weekend, and we talked. She still lived back in Washington State, and I live here in Missouri. And I would call her every weekend. And when I called her, she sounded terrible. I said, Donna, you sound terrible, and I've got to make this short. And she said, you should have heard me last Wednesday. Well, I called a friend who lives in Washington State and asked her to check on Donna because she was so weak she couldn't hardly breathe and such. And the lady waited until the next day and went over and Donna was down on the floor and couldn't get up. They took her to the emergency room and she had a lung that was collapsed and was in terrible, terrible shape. Her white count was up very high, and she was having trouble breathing. They transported her to another hospital, and they began treatment, trying to clear up the infection. My older brother went to Washington State to oversee her. He also had POA, power of attorney, concerning her. I'm going to make a long story short. My sister had been in a car wreck once before, and she did not want to go through suffering like she did before. And the question arose, and she supposedly brought it up, that she just wanted to die. She didn't want to struggle. Her white count had dropped considerably, and the question was, do we forego treatment and just let her die i opposed it i spoke with my brother and i said satan has the power of death and he's falsely quoted scriptures oh death where's thy victory oh death where's thy sting the fact is that is when we enter into immortality until we enter into immortality the sting of death is very real an enemy to us. And I was talking with my brother over the phone, and my brother eventually made the decision to let her die. What it meant was 
She could not breathe without this tube down her. Now, she would eventually have recovered, but she couldn't breathe unless that tube was in her. And he made the decision, against my will, to pull that tube out. And she died in 15 minutes. My brother was at her side, and of all people, her pastor was at her side. I'm reminded of Paul. He said, I've turned a man over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. Frankly, that's exactly what those two men did. They turned my sister over to Satan for the destruction of her flesh, and she died. Later on, some of the money was available for our inheritance between him and I. And I told my brother, I don't want your money. I don't want to have anything to do with that. Because Satan is an enemy, and death is an enemy. And I am not going to be a partaker or a sharer in any regard to death. Interestingly, they got together to spread the ashes of Donna, and they used my money to get the rest of the family together over at my brother's. But I wasn't invited. In fact, not only was I not invited, they didn't want to see me. That's okay. I'd rather be right and unpopular than to be wrong and join in with the error of the whole of mankind. But around the 15th of March, I got an email from my brother. There was an account that my sister had. He sent me an email and said that a check from the bank would be arriving to me. And it was in mom and dad's will that that money be split between the two of us. I didn't know how much the check would be. But when it said it was in mom and dad's will, I obey my father. But I made the decision. Yeah, I'll take that money. Which I call blood money. I mentioned it to a couple of other people. This blood money. I do not want to have anything to do with this money. I want life, not death. But I thought, I'm going to take that money, however much it is. And I'm going to send it to Africa. And I'm going to let Satan be defeated by those finances that he effected through death so I received the check on March 17 and quickly deposited on March 18 and I used it to dramatically spread bride truth in Africa the check was for $6,000 and I was glad to use it for that purpose and to lift up those brothers and to defeat Satan I told two people about this, and that was all. I didn't want that necessarily to be known, and it's hard to tell the story anyway. But this one brother, he said, you know, it's very interesting that that check was for $6,000 and that you called it blood money. Now, you probably know that the term blood money had to do with Judas Iscariot. That's why when he threw it into the temple, they wouldn't use it because it was blood money. And so they bought the 
potter's field to bury people who couldn't afford a burial. Of course, it was 30 pieces of silver that he betrayed Yeshua for. And this brother is very thorough, and so he thought, I wonder what 30 pieces of silver are valued at today. He found out $6,000. So I got blood money. And I've used it not to bury people, but to defeat death. What is most interesting about this as well is that immediately after I got that check, I got bronchitis in my lungs. And I have never had bronchitis in my life. I cannot even tell you the last time I was sick. Well, I can. Uh, About three weeks before, I got a stomach ailment. But as far as any other sickness, no, I don't get sick. But I got bronchitis, and it was major. Uh, I was sleeping 10 hours at night, sleeping in the day, uh, coughing continually. You can tell by my voice now, this is on the 31st. I still have the effects of it. I'm just glad I'm not coughing like crazy, which I have. On Wednesday, March 29, I was in the throes of this deep lung congestion. I didn't know if it was bacterial or viral. I hadn't gone to a doctor yet. I haven't been to a doctor since I was a child. Oh, I've had some surgeries, but not sick. And on Wednesday the 29th, I woke in the morning and all of a sudden it dawned on me, Gary, you had that blood money. And here you are for the first time in your life with the same symptoms that killed your sister. And honestly, fear gripped my heart and my mind. And I thought, you know, am I going to die too? That's the way fear is, folks. You begin to wonder. And as an intercessor, I'm especially sensitive to something like this because here I got my sister's blood money. I wasn't fearful of the money because it was used for good. But in that identification with her, by having the very same thing that she got that killed her, not really, it didn't kill her, it led to her death. What killed her was my brother. But I had the fear of death. Gratefully, I got in touch with someone and got some antibiotics. And I'm feeling better. But here's what I see about March. March is first remnant. March is death. March is loss. And as an intercessor, Yahweh has led me into that experience. You know, it's like the cross and the crown. You want to wear the crown? Be ready to wear the cross. That's the way of Yahweh. And so Yahweh had me to identify with my sister's death. That was my identification with the death of mankind at the hands of Satan. So for me, March 
was a time of identification with the first remnant and with death and him who has the power of death. And it gives me hope, actually, because with the identification with the first remnant, and frankly, as the twelfth apostle, identification with the first remnant is critical. That's the office that went from Judas Iscariot to Satan and has to go to a man today. In reality, I am first remnant. And I had to identify with the loss and pain of March. And of course, the hope is that in identifying with the first remnant, then the fulfillment of the second remnant is possible, that it will come about. So we look for May to be hopefully quite fulfilling from a personal standpoint, having identified with the first remnant. And it will be interesting to see what April has to bring as well. What is the message there? So I just wanted to share this with you and let you know what the outcome for March truly was. And keep in mind, it's that scripture of seeing Yahweh's back as he's gone before us and performed the work. We don't see what Yahweh is doing until it's already done. And that was the outcome of March for me. And we will see what April and May might bring. But with hope, with identification, we hope we will see the fulfillment of that which is good. Recently, I was telling a brother about this. And I said, we will wait and see what's on the other side of April. And he said, fish on the other side. (laughs) And him saying that reminded me, I knew exactly what he was bringing up. And I said, oh, brother, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. I I hadn't remembered that in a while. Let me tell you what he meant. I'll tell you the story behind that. And it'll take a little time because it's quite involved, but I think you will find it most interesting and hopefully quite encouraging. Somewhere in the mid-1980s, something took place that was beyond the natural. Without question, it was spiritual. It was a natural experience, but it was spiritual. I had a practice in the morning of going and spending an hour in prayer. So I went in to pray as normal, and I knelt down, and Yahweh spoke to me. And keep in mind, it's going to take a little while to unfold. And he spoke to me and said, ask for Rob Farrell's wealth. Well, Listen, I knew Rob Farrell. We went to the same church. That man was very wealthy. He was in real estate with shopping centers and such, and he was quite wealthy. And it scared me. I got up off my knees, and I thought, whoa, whoa, boy, I can't do this this easily. I said, Father, this is a major thing to ask. 
And he said, well, didn't I tell you such and such that came to pass? And I said, yes. Didn't I tell you such and such came to pass? And I said, yes. Didn't I tell you such and such and it came to pass? And I said, yes. He said, you can trust me in this. Okay. That answered that question. But I said, Father, am I supposed to ask for Rob Farrell's wealth? Or am I supposed to ask for wealth equivalent to Rob Farrell? Because it could be interpreted two different ways. He told me to ask for Rob Farrell's wealth. I got down on my knees. Very simple. I said, Father, give me Rob Farrell's wealth. As I said, we went to the same church. When I showed up Sunday morning, Rob came up to me. He said, you know, Holly and I have been talking, and we would like for you to come out to our ranch, which was in Waco. We lived in Dallas, and so it would be a drive over to Waco, Texas. He said, we'd like for you to come out to our ranch and to enjoy a couple of days out there, the weekend. And I said, Rob, that's great. I said, I appreciate it very much. So, obviously, we looked forward to it and were ready to go. But more importantly, I thought, here I am getting ready to occupy Rob Farrell's ranch. And it had a big house on it. You know, it was many, many acres It had a big game fence all the way around it. It had all kinds of exotic game and buffalo and longhorn steers. And it was a gorgeous, gorgeous ranch with this big, beautiful house. And I thought, here I am getting ready to occupy Rob Farrell's possessions. And I just prayed, give me Rob Farrell's wealth. So we got in our old van. And what's interesting about our trip there, uh, the water went low and it started overheating and I thought I've got a leak. And so I put some stop leak in there, you know, and filled it up with water and got back on the road and didn't get too far. And all the water was gone again. I thought, wow, it's even worse than I thought. Put some more stop leak in, you know, put water in It took off and got to the ranch and I checked it again and the water was gone and it was overheating. And I thought, what is the deal? And I checked the oil. Ooh, (laughs) there was no oil in the crankcase. There was no oil. It was overheating because of friction. And in my perception, that is a miracle to drive to a place with no oil. And honestly, I think that's kind of the way I am many times in life. I don't have the oil yet. So I put oil in it. We had a great time. It was really wonderful being there. We invited another couple that we knew to come join us, which he was more than glad for us to do. And they actually came the second day and just came for part of the day. So while we were there by ourselves, I decided I was going to go fishing in a pond that they had. And the reality was, and I can't even remember what the issue was about, but I felt terrible as a father. I felt like I was one of the worst fathers ever. And I can't remember what it was that set that off, but I felt terrible. So I got my rod and reel because I knew I could fish there. I brought it with me and I got my rod and reel and some lures and I went out to this pond. And as I was walking 
up to the pond and and looking around the uh, you know best place to fish, the father spoke to me. He said, "Fish on the other side." Well, I looked over where he meant for me to fish, and I thought, "That's a terrible place to fish. There's no cover. It looks like just a sloped area." I said, "That's a terrible place." And look, look at here. I mean, I can see them down in this deep water here in this pond, and and the cover is just fantastic. And so I decided I'd start fishing there. So I took my lure and I cast and I cast and I cast and I cast. Tried different lures, cast. And guess what? Couldn't catch a fish. So I thought, well, maybe he knows what he's talking about. So I left that part and I went around the pond and went on the other side where he told me to. And I started fishing on the other side, just like he told me. So I put my lure on there and top lure and I cast it out there and boom, immediately. This bass hit it. Ah, it's a beautiful bass. I reeled it in, you know, and put it on the stringer and cast it out a second time. Boom, immediately a fish hit it. I reel that fish in, put it on the stringer. I cast a third time. Boom! Immediately, a fish hit it. I reel that fish in, put it on the stringer, had three. I cast again a fourth time. Boom! Immediately, a fish hit it. I reel that bass in, I put him on the stringer, had four bass. Then a fifth time, I cast out again. Boom! Immediately, a fish hit it. I reeled that bass in, put him on the stringer. Five nice bass. Then Yahweh spoke to me. He said, that's enough. And I thought, let's see, that's one for me and one for my wife and my two children can eat one and my son. But, you know, we probably ought to have at least another extra one. And so I thought, you know, well, he said that's that's it. But, you know, uh, Maybe I need to catch just one more. Just one more. So I cast out there. Same place. Reeled it in. Cast out there again. And reeled it in. Cast. 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 And I thought, well, I guess he knows what he's talking about. I got my fish. Started walking back towards the house. And I said, Father. There is no question that what you just did was a miracle. And here we are at Rob Farrell's ranch. This was a miracle. And I felt least worthy than I could ever feel of having a miracle occur in my life that was from his hand. That was a most significant thing. The whole thing of praying for Rob Farrell's wealth, and then going out to his ranch. That was a miracle in itself. And then to catch these five fish, the way he told me to, he said, fish on the other side. And that's where I caught them. And furthermore, it was not long after that, that Rob Farrell began losing everything. And he did lose everything. He lost his house. He lost the ranch. He lost all of his real estate. He and his wife almost got a divorce. 
and he lost everything. I eventually sat down with him over lunch, and I had recorded that in my journal. And I let him read it, and he read it, and as a man who was there and broke, he said, I hope you're right, Gary. I'd like to think there was a reason for it. So when I recently said, it'll be interesting to see what happens on the other side of April, and the brother said, fish on the other side, do you understand what that could mean now that you know this story? I fished on this side this month, and all I got was sick. I mean, I cannot remember ever being this sick. Not for this duration, for sure. And we've got April coming up, and I'm hoping for what happens on the other side of April. Let me tell you, folks, with this promise of fishing on the other side, it's not just a promise. It is a miracle of Yahweh God. But see, Yahweh God knows from the beginning what he's going to do in our lives. And I have that promise for Rob Farrell's wealth, which I have not received yet. But if we get the latter rain in May, I can guarantee you, the money box will be turned over to me, and I'll have Rob Farrell's wealth and more. That is our hope. I don't mind paying loss in March. And we will wait through April and see what Yahweh does. And we will look to Yahweh in May to give us the latter rain and to initiate, to launch this work of the second remnant and we ascend alive at the last trumpet. That seventh and last trumpet in the book of Revelation and in all the other testimonies as well. That is our hope. And frankly, we are totally impotent to accomplish any of it. But with things like fish on the other side, and with what happened to me in March, where I identified and even came to the point of fear concerning my sister's death, I pray that that is a testimony like fish on the other side and not I didn't catch any on this side. It is my hope that on the other side of April we're going to see Yahweh move. It's obviously desperately, desperately needed. So, what can I add to this? Nothing. I can add nothing to it. The scriptures say, when I am weak, then am I strong. That strength is perfected in weakness. I was dwelling on that recently. Strength is perfected in weakness. And what I realized is that when we are weak and cannot accomplish something, then Yahweh God moves 
and strength is perfected, is made perfect. It's a perfect strength. It's a completely fulfilling strength. It is perfected in our weakness. I guarantee you, I've been weak for the last two weeks. And I was weak out at that ranch. And totally unworthy of a miracle. And Yahweh did it. And may Yahweh fulfill his word now. And may Yahweh give us what we have to have from above. He alone can do it. May he accomplish it. We pray in the name of Yeshua. Amen.